please pray with me? Gracious Father, this indeed is the day that the Lord has made. Father, we give you thanks for the incarnate life and death and resurrection of your Son, Jesus Christ. And we pray that your Holy Spirit would attend the proclamation of your word, that we might step more fully, that we might embrace and receive that gift of resurrection life through the crucified and risen one. Amen. Stories told of a church school teacher who had been spending a, a good bit of time with her students teaching about the death and the resurrection of Jesus, the empty tomb. And, and she wanted to kind of engage the children and, and get their imaginations going. And so she asked them, children, what do you think the first words were that Jesus spoke when, when he burst forth from the tomb? And one little girl had her hand up like this and was saying, I know, I know, I know, I know. And, and finally she said, good, okay, dear, please stand up and tell us what it was that Jesus said when he burst forth from the tomb. And she said, ta-da! <laughs> well, April Fool's Day aside, uh, that wasn't the right answer, but we have to admit that that this story, this incredible story of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, overcoming death, overcoming the grave, is a bit magical. It's not in the sense of being a trick, not in the sense of deception, but in the sense that it was truly something supernatural, something unexpected, something that, that God spoke volumes through the resurrection itself. An extraordinary event happens in the resurrection. There's no doubt about it. Frederick Buechner, uh, in his book, uh, Telling the Truth, he subtitles it, The Gospel as Tragedy, Comedy, and Fairy Tale. And what he does in this book is he takes those genres of liturgy, tragedy, comedy, and fairy tale, and he helps us to see how those genres are actually at work in the story of the Bible. Well, the resurrection of Jesus from the dead is God's true fairy tale. It's God's own, and they lived happily ever after. It's where the Gospels take us. If you'll notice, we read about the, the life of Jesus, but, but most of the Gospel content centers in on this last week his passion, as he walked through the Jewish Passover and actually ended up filling fuller this notion of exodus, of Passover, through his own life. The resurrection of Jesus is God's last word on life and death, and most importantly, his last word on his son, Jesus Christ. You see, what's happening, what we're celebrating, what we're stepping into is the reality that that God in the resurrection has vindicated his son. 
God takes a cross, which is agony and horror, and turns it into something that is beautiful, that's life-changing. You see, in the light of the resurrection, all that happened to Jesus earlier in this week, all that we've been walking through in the life of the church, his, his betrayal and his arrest and his mocking and agony, his death on a criminal's cross, all of these events, which, which if you were going through them, certainly as Jesus' followers were, if you're reading the story, all of it seems as if everything has spun out of God's control. And yet in the resurrection, God says, no, actually, I was doing something. I was doing the greatest thing ever done in the history of the world, in raising my son. God was vindicating everything that Jesus taught and claimed about himself as we read through the Gospels. He was vindicating his death and showing us that it wasn't senseless, that it wasn't out of his control, but indeed it was filled with his purpose. It's God's true fairy tale ending to Jesus's earthly work. And what strikes me in our gospel reading today is just how completely shocked and astonished the women disciples were on that first Easter morning. It's not just the women. In the other Gospels, we find out that the guys were the same way, but it was the women that the Lord chose to be the first witnesses and, and, uh, of the empty tomb and to hear the angel speak of what God was doing. But, but what we read, what we hear and see in these women is they were, they were agonizing. They were astonished. They were completely taken off guard by the resurrection. You see, these women who came early in the morning, as Mark tells us, to Jesus' tomb, they had seen a lot of firsts in Jesus' ministry. Think about it. They had been with Jesus. They had seen him for the first time in their lives give sight to the blind and heal the leprosy and heal the sick and, and, and give hearing back to the deaf. They had seen in Jesus him raise folks from the dead. Not resurrection life, for they were just resuscitated. They would go on to die again, but Jesus spoke life, and they were raised. They also had heard Jesus' own promise repeatedly. As he said, I will be rejected, and I will suffer, and on the third day, the Son of Man will be raised from the dead. They had heard these words. They had just heard on Good Friday, Jesus say to the thief next to him, today you will be with me in paradise. They had even heard Jesus say very explicitly, I am resurrection and I am life. And yet think about it, after all that they had witnessed and all that they had heard from Jesus, Mark couldn't have been clearer, that, and, and the other gospel accounts as well, that, that the women were going there expecting to find the dead, now cold body of Jesus. And the same thing is true for the other disciples. In all of the gospel accounts, 
You see, here's my point. Resurrection, despite the miracles, despite the teaching of Jesus, wasn't on the radar of his followers. It wasn't what they expected to see that morning. It wasn't what they dreamed of. It wasn't what they hoped for. It simply, read the Gospels, was not in their heart. But it was in God's heart. And aren't you glad it was in God's heart? Because it was his perfect way to declare his sovereignty. It was his perfect way to bring redemption and vindication and victory and salvation to us. It wasn't in our hearts. It was in God's heart. It was in the Father's heart. How blessed was the angel who had the assignment to declare to those women, you you seek Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. He is risen. <laughs> He's not here. The angel said, go and look. It's, it's empty. He's not here. And yet, understandably, all we hear from Mark are these descriptive words. The, the women were alarmed. They were trembling. They were astonished. They were afraid. Talk about a twist in the story. Talk about a reversal of fortune. God pulled off the greatest surprise in all time in the resurrection of Jesus. And what this means is it's not just a matter of hearing the promises of God. It's not even a matter of witnessing the miraculous, which I would guess to some degree all of us have in our lifetimes. It actually comes down to the heart. It comes down to believing. For all of Jesus' followers, as we continue to read the story through the New Testament, it wasn't just about an empty tomb, but it was about their subsequent encounters with the risen Lord. It wasn't just that he overcame death, but that he's now alive and can be known and encountered. And it was in their ongoing relationship with the one who promised to never leave or forsake us that they found new life and resurrection life. Some say that the resurrection is unbelievable, that, that it's too good to be true. But countless others throughout time have said just the opposite. How else do we explain the hundreds of witnesses in Jerusalem after Jesus' resurrection? How else do we explain people giving up their lives for what, I guess, if you don't believe it, was a lie? The resurrection, and yet that's what we see the apostles do. They gave up their lives, not for a lie, but for the reality that Jesus conquered death. The apostle Paul said, we're to be most pity of all if there's no resurrection. And yet, that was the, the central proclamation of the early church, the first creed. If you had to, to determine a creed was, he is risen. Christ is risen. And the church believed it. How else do you explain the changed lives of hundreds of thousands of people throughout history, including the lives of people right here in this room? 
if Jesus is not alive, if he didn't conquer death, if that tomb is not empty? How do you explain the emergence of the church? What a difference the resurrection makes. It changed everything. Theologian Wolfhard Pannenberg says that one of the major reasons people question the resurrection and in the face of all the evidence for it is that if you believe, he said, if you believe it happened, you'd have to change the way you live. If he conquered death, if that is God's last word, if that's the reality in a world that seems like it's spun out of control, that God actually is sovereign and alive and redeeming, then our lives will be different. You see, the resurrection changes everything. All bets are off if what we proclaim and what we celebrate this day is true. I don't know if you all remember studying in school about the the southernmost tip of Africa, which for centuries uh, had experienced these, these tremendous storms. And for many years, no one actually knew what, what lay beyond the Cape there at the end of Africa, for no ship had been able to successfully maneuver through those turbulent waters and storms. It was actually known as the Cape of Storms, and for good reason. That was until a Portuguese explorer in the 16th century, Vasco da Gama, successfully sailed beyond the Cape and found the calm waters on the other side, and beyond that, the shores of India. At that time, in that event, the name of the Cape was changed from the Cape of Storms to the Cape of Good Hope. Until Jesus rose from the dead, death was our Cape of Storms, in which all hopes of life beyond had been wrecked. No one knew what lay beyond that point, and until this morning, until Easter morning, and now because of what Jesus has done in his life and in his death and in his resurrection, death now is for us who believe the cape of good hope, no longer the cape of storms, no longer a cape of fear, because Jesus in his resurrection is the first fruits. He's gone through it, and he's come back to tell us of it. He had promised in John 14, because I live, you also will live. He told Martha, he says, whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. You see, this proclamation isn't just simply something about what happened to Jesus, but it's something that happens with us when we trust in him, when we believe in him, when we step in to this resurrection life. For on this day, Jesus took on the last and greatest enemy, death. And death, which the scriptures teach us, is the wages of our own sins. And yet, because of his atoning death on the cross, we can be forgiven. 
You know what the angels said? I don't know if you noticed it. I'm, I'm not sure I had, but, but he said that Jesus was raised, and I want you to go and tell the disciples and Peter. Now, why, why, why Peter? <laughs> I think I know why. Peter had just done what? He just had denied his Lord. Peter was in a hell of his own, in his own brokenness and misery and, and rejection of Jesus before men. And God made a special note. Go tell the disciples and Peter. Because what has happened in this death and in this resurrection means forgiveness and restoration for Peter, and for all of us who live in brokenness. That's what the cross means. That's what the resurrection means. Go and tell. This is good news for Peter. Make sure he knows. Make sure he comes. Because in the cross and resurrection, Jesus has rendered sin and death powerless over us. Did you know, brothers and sisters, that, that today, on Easter Day, the first Easter Day, death died. Death died. Death no longer has dominion over us. You know what? So many people out there in our world don't know this. They live without resurrection hope. They live with what we're, without what the very thing that we're celebrating today. They think very much like Woody Allen. He said, I don't mind dying. I just don't want to be there when it happens. By contrast, Charles Kinsley, who was a well-known English preacher in the 19th century, at the end of his life, both he and his wife lay terminally ill in different rooms of the same hospital. And the only way they could communicate with one another was through written notes back and forth, which the nurses would bring. And one day his wife sent him a note, and it said, My darling, is it cowardly of me to tremble before the unseen reality of death? And Kingsley wrote back, he said, do not be afraid. It will not be dark because God is light. There will be no loneliness for Christ will be there. You see, friends, this is the hope and the promise of the resurrection. In Romans, the Apostle Paul says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That believing is not, is not just merely an intellectual assent to, to some information. It's believing in the sense of trusting and entrusting our lives to the living Lord. It's living in that dynamic, ongoing relationship that he invites us into through Jesus Christ. The resurrection is God's last word. It's the final act, the final earthly act of, of God's saving drama in Jesus.
But for us, it's the opening act. It's the beginning. It's the beginning of new and abundant life in Jesus. It's the beginning of that coming new heaven and new earth that we're promised in him. One final story, a personal one. I was in college and already a Christian, and I had walked away, gotten away from, one, the support of the Christian community in a new place and in a new environment, and I got to a place of dramatic emptiness and brokenness, living kind of by myself, on my own, apart from the Lord and my own strength. Don't advise it. It didn't work out too well, and I was excruciatingly empty and began to cry out to the Lord in those days, and he in his mercy and goodness met me. And I began to understand the person and the power of the Holy Spirit in a new and very real way in those days. And I remember having, don't think I'm weird, but I remember having a dream. It was one of those dreams that was a special dream. It wasn't my dream. It was a God dream. And in this dream, I was walking along one of the dormitory buildings on my college campus where I saw uh, the body of an old dead man on the side, side of the sidewalk. And a truck pulled up, an old kind of rusty truck, and some guys got out, and they slung the body into the bed of the truck. And I thought, why are they being so disrespectful? And I remember walking up to that body in the bed of the truck, and I said, in the name of Jesus Christ and by the power of the Holy Spirit, breathe. And all of a sudden, breath entered the lungs, and that dead man rose, and I awoke from my dream. I thought, my goodness, Lord, what was that? I had some fantasies. I thought maybe I would have a worldwide mission of going around and raising the dead <laughs> all over. Finally, I was steered to a woman with some gifts and some wisdom about these matters. And I told her the dream, and she laughed. And I said, Virginia, why, why are you laughing? She said, David, the dead man is you. And now, in the name of Jesus Christ and by the power of the Holy Spirit, you've been given life. All because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul says in our Colossians re reading, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above. You see, dear brothers and sisters, the reality of this resurrection is for us. The implication is for us. We have been raised with Christ. It's what our baptism points to, being united with him in his death and raised with him in resurrection life. It's true. It's God's last word. It's God's gift to us through his son, Jesus Christ. Aren't you glad? Thanks be to God. He is risen. Amen.